following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, January 18th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, with my guest, Kate Wagner, a licensed brain gym instructor from Naperville, Illinois, who holds a master's in elementary education. We will be joined at the bottom of the hour by Mary Goska, a rhythmic movement training instructor. Welcome, Kate. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for having me today. You're quite welcome. It was nice meeting you out in Chicagoland. Yes, thanks for coming to visit us um, during our cold and snowy winter. You know, um, uh, my team and I made it in and out just uh, just in between the snowstorms. <laughs> that is a trick around here. Yeah, a lot of the team was uh, was local, but um, for those of us who who needed to fly out, we made it in and out just in time. Well, Kate, a lot of our listeners might not be familiar with Brain Gym, so why don't you tell us what it is? Well, Brain Gym is a movement-based learning program. It was started about 30 years ago by Paul Dennison, who was working with um, students who had reading difficulties out in California. And he developed this program using all sorts of movements that come from um, some modalities like behavioral optometry, some from acupressure, touch for health, or applied kinesiology. We even have a couple movements from yoga. Um, these 26 basic movements are the foundation of the Brain Gym Learning Program. Um, Brain Gym has been going on for about 30 years. It's in 87 countries and 50 languages. You can uh, go on the website and find a class to take Brain Gym. Um, we do private sessions. And I do a lot of work with school systems, um, implementing Brain Gym by teaching teachers how to use Brain Gym in the classroom. How did he decide which movements to choose? Oh, when working with a child? Well, there's various methods. Um, you could use, one is you can look at what their body is telling you. Um, if they're having problems reading, then I would look at their eye movement, and I would do a movement called Lazy Eights, and that's training the eyes to cross the midline, and that's from behavioral optometry. Um, or if a student in a classroom is getting ready to do a reading, um, oral reading, we might do the energy yawn. So it can depend on the subject matter or the need of the client. Wow, so you really have to be in tune 
with your with your clients. So when you're talking about activities, Kate, what do you mean by an activity in Brain Gym, and how does it help the brain? Oh, that's a good question. Um, an activity is a simple movement. It's a one-step movement for the most part, and all these movements can be adapted for special needs. Uh, my youngest client is three years old, and my oldest is 95. Wow. So, <laughs> yes. Well, oh, that is that is so hopeful. I always admire it when I hear of a parent who has um, an adult with challenges who's still, you know, out there rooting for them and and trying to um, affect improvements for them in their life. Yes. So these movements have to be adaptable because what a 10-year-old can do, a 95-year-old might not be able to because of arthritic conditions and what health conditions going on in their body. And then a 3-year-old may not have the physical coordination to do some of the movements. So we can do them passively. We can help the child do the movement. Um, A movement can be as simple as crossing the midline. So if I were to cut your body in half so that one ear would be on either side, so I'm cutting you right down the middle, cutting the belly button right in half, and so you have a left and a right side, I'm going to cross that midline, taking my opposite hand, my right hand, and touching my left knee. Then doing the opposite movement where I take my left hand and cross over the midline to hit my right knee with my wrist. That simple movement of crossing the midline is working the left and the right brain and helping the child to establish balance. And crossing that midline um, is a fabulous, fabulous movement for um, equilibrium. Now, Kate, you alluded to the fact that some individuals, children, a three-year-old, might not be able to do some of these movements on their own and that you would need to facilitate them. Now, can we have some concrete examples of of that? What kind of diagnoses um, does brain gym serve and are there conditions where, say, when you put the child on his or her belly, they're not able to physically affect these movements themselves at first? Okay. I had a class yesterday, and one of the um, people in the class is an instructor in a local school for children with autism. And she said to me, Kate, these children have very low muscle tone. This one particular student would not be able to cross the midline because he has no core muscle strength. And so I showed her if the child is laying down on the ground, you could assist the child by lifting the knee and reaching the arm to have the hand contact the knee, crossing the midline. So you can assist this student in doing this movement and have him lying on the floor rather than using the postural reflexes standing up and having to deal with balance and gravity. We can adjust this movement to be doing it um, while the child is lying on the ground. Wow, so you're adjusting your strategies for each individual client. This is an individualized therapy. Yes. Okay. Well, you know, that reminds me of how if somebody is injured um, and has gravity issues, they might be able to do their therapy better in a pool, you know, than yes. doing it on land. Yes. You could do this sitting in a chair. So if the child has balance, um, issues, you can do this cross-crawl sitting in a chair. Okay, so let's make this very practical um, from start to finish. You're looking at an individual. You're looking mm-hmm. at the child, 
and you're discerning, and let us know how you're discerning some sort of deficit, and then you are figuring out a strategy to address that deficit, and then there's some sort of practical um, outcome, some practical benefit. So describe to us a situation where you have deficit, strategy, and positive outcome. Okay. Those are my terms, by the way. <laughs> They're not necessarily licensed brain gym terms. But you're looking at your client and you, you're noticing something. What is it you notice? And then you're figuring out a strategy. How will I address this? And then, oh, my gosh, Johnny did this, this or this better this week. Do you have a situation like that you can share with us? Um, sure. And I can also say that this can be used in a classroom situation for the entire class. So I'll give you a brief classroom situation. Um, we were concerned, we were testing reading fluency at an eighth grade level, and it was two days before spring break. So the first day we went into the classroom, and we had the students read a one-minute timed paragraph, and we noted how many errors they made and how many words they read in that one minute. The next day was the day before spring break, and it was last period. So these eighth graders come in, they're throwing their books on the desk, they're, you know, throwing their coats all over the room, the teacher's looking at me, okay, Mrs. Wagner, here's your opportunity to do brain gym. So I take a deep breath, and I start. And I had to teach each of the movements. So it took about 10 or 15 minutes to teach the movements and do the movements. And by the end, all of them were sitting quietly looking at me, and the teacher looked at me, and she said, do I dare move? Because the class was so subdued and relaxed. I said, sure, they're ready to learn now. So then we took each student out individually again and did the one-minute timed reading. It was a different passage because we don't want them to increase their fluency by reading the same passage. We just want to test them reading for one minute. Totally different passage. They decreased their errors by 80% and increased the number of words they read by over 30%. Well, just from just from you doing this movement or movement? Yes. What'd you do? What'd you do? Um, Can you tell? Well, I did some I did some eye tracking movements and I did some lengthening movements. Um, their brain gym is separated into four different movements. There's lengthening, and there's um, deepening attitudes. There's midline movements, and there's energy exercises. So I picked a little bit from each of those four categories. And the children love it. They love to move. They ask for it. Um, I had a client in last week, brand new client, and I taught them some movements. And when they came back the following week, this child is on the spectrum, uh, the mom said to me, it's amazing. When my child does these movements, he's much more relaxed and calm. Very good. So you said kids love it, so it must feel good to their body. You mentioned lengthening, deepening, addressing the midline, and energy. So um, this sounds a lot more holistic and appropriate than just throwing a pill at something. Yes. Okay. We work with kids who have ADD and ADHD. We work with kids who have dyslexia, um, kids with some coordination issues. You can tell if the movements are not smooth and rhythmic, that something is going on in the brain. We do not diagnose. We're an educational model. Um, 
But the gift of brain gym is I can tell by how the child does the movement that there's something neurologically going on. Then by doing the movement, I have an ability to change neurologically what's going on. And then the third thing about brain gym is that I have a way of seeing the improvement. So as the movement becomes more rhythmic and smooth and easy and fluid for this child, I'm witnessing neurological growth. So movement tells us about the brain, Mm -hmm. and then the brain improves, and the movement improves. The evidence is in the movement and the function. And the mom comes and tells me, wow, my child has increased his reading level by two grade levels. This is what happened with my son. This is how I got involved with Brain Gym. Um, My son's reading was at grade level, yet he had a very high IQ, and so it didn't make sense to me. So I went to a brain gym instructor in Woodridge who has since retired, and she taught my son brain gym for the summer. I think we went once a week for six weeks and every other week till the summer ended. He went back into third grade reading at a fifth grade level. And, very, all, he, and all he had done is brain gym over the summer. Very good. Well, before we go to break, um, I know that you're in Chicagoland, um, mm-hmm. but in general, how can kids get this? How can parents find this for their kids um, to use at home or in the school? Well, we have um, a network of instructors. Um, they're all listed on the Brain Gym website, which is braingym.org. You can find a class. You can uh, find a consultant um, in your area, and hopefully there's one close by to you. Okay, and just to let our listeners know, um, Kate will be joining us at the Autism One Generation Rescue 2011 conference in Lombard, Illinois, um, towards the end of May, as well as many other um, presenters from uh, all over, uh, including many from the Chicagoland area, and we'd like to give back to the local community there. And thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica makers of fine digestive enzymes to complement your special diet. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Autism Hope Alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism. The goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today. Diet modification, biomedical intervention, and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery. Through these efforts, we believe hope will replace hopelessness. Recovery for our children is a reality. For more information, go to AutismHopeAlliance.org. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. 
Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Kate Wagner, a licensed brain gym instructor for Naperville, Illinois. Um, and we've been talking about Brain Gym. Just as a reminder, we will be joined at the bottom of the hour by Mary Gaska, a rhythmic movement training instructor. And Kate, um, let's talk about another practical situation. For children who are in the fight-or-flight mode, as so many kids on the spectrum are, what does the Brain Gym program offer um, for these types of things, for different reflexes? Oh, that's a wonderful question because that fight-or-flight reflex really puts these kids in a situation where they're very hypervigilant, where they're always in that, that sense of fear, something's going to happen, and they have to be vigilant. Um, what's nice about Brain Gym is we have some of the lengthening activities that deal with um, the ability to relax and focus one's attention. It releases some of the tension in that lower body, which allows the child to then become um, able to let go of that tendon guard reflex. Um, What's a tendon guard reflex? Well, that's that fight-or-flight reflex, and it's really held in the lower leg um, and foot, and we have some lengthening exercises that release the tension in the hamstring and work on the Achilles tendon, and the stretching and lengthening of that will get rid of some symptoms like toe walking, um, difficulty in managing impulses. Um, We also have some of the energy exercises, which allow us to feel more grounded and centered and present, and it really stabilizes... um, our ability to play and, and to self-calm. And that's why Brain Gym is wonderful in that once I teach these kids the movements, I tell them, now this is your tool. When you start to feel a little anxiety or stress, you can use the hookup. You can use positive points. And it's very easy to do once you teach them this. You might have to remind them, you know, is there a movement you can use right now? Um, and but it's easy to put it in the classroom. It, okay, so it sounds like that would be more appropriate for a, um, a more able individual, high, a higher functioning individual, um, and, uh, and, but it would need to be something that teachers needed to facilitate for less able individuals. It might be, depending, depending on where the child is, but for someone, um, you might be able to hold their positive points while they are sitting in a hookup. What's or, a positive point? Oh, positive points are great. They're halfway between the hairline and the eyebrow, 
And you just very gently hold on both sides, right and left side, with a couple of fingers, very gently hold halfway between the eyebrow and the hairline, very lightly, and that draws attention to the prefrontal lobes and the prefrontal cortex and helps us to self-calm. Okay. Well, it sounds like these would be things um, that would be most effective, say, at the beginning of a school day. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, when, when do you find these exercises, these movements and activities to be most effective for um, a parent's kids or teacher's students or such? Well, I think you're right. I think, Terry, using this in the beginning of the school day, there's four movements put together called PACE, and that stands for Positive, Active, Clear, and Energetic. And doing that at the beginning of the day gets the student ready to learn. Now, if you're ready to do a reading um, program, you know, an auditory listening, you might do thinking caps which is gently activating the ear using your thumb and fingers as if you were trying to unroll it. And you start at the top of the ear and go down to the lobe. And simply doing that activates over 400 acupuncture points in the ear. It's like giving yourself a, a whole body massage. Wow. And so for kids with some auditory issues who keep hearing the sounds around them instead of focusing on what the teacher is saying, they can do think thinking caps, which is this auditory massage, and that will help them listen better. So you can fine-tune it to the specific subject you're about to do. Arm activation you would do before a writing sample. Okay. So you've mentioned auditory, and what facets of brain gym uh, can be used to deal with things like the proprioceptive or vestibular systems? Okay. Some of our lengthening exercises really work with some of the proprioceptors in the lower body, hips, and legs. We better tell listeners um, who haven't been with us before what proprioceptive means. Okay. Those are the receptors in the muscles and joints and bones that tell us where we are in space and how gravity is affecting our balance and posture. And so uh, for kids... Um, who might have some um, issues with balance, there are movements that can help them to become more balanced and uh, able to deal with gravity and have better posture and ease of walking. All right. And are there any other behavioral situations you'd like to mention? Um, I think we've mentioned the ADD, ADHD, dyslexia, um, what Reducing stress and some self-regulation, these are all issues that can be addressed with brain gym. Yeah. Um, how about Downs and CP? Um, I have worked a little bit with CP, but mainly with rhythmic movement training. Um, I have not worked with any Down syndrome children myself personally, so I can't speak to that. Okay. I've, I looked on the website, and I noticed... Um, a bunch of studies about educational kinesiology. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are. Um, there are plenty, more than um, I have time to read. <laughs> there are many books on it. Carla Hannaford does some wonderful work. Um, she has a book called 
smart moves, why learning is not all in your head. <laughs> and um, online, the, of course, there's Brain Jim and Me by Paul Dennison. So, you know, you've just made a wonderful po- uh, point, Kate, when when you gave us the title of that book, that learning is not all in your head. I don't think that, you know, average mainstream realizes how connected the body is. You know, a lot of times I think they think that we're just all a bunch of disembodied heads walking around um, and that what happens in the rest of the body has nothing to do with what goes on in the brain. You know, but we know, for example, that what goes on in the gut affects the rest of the body and ends up having downstream effects to the brain insofar as cognition. And now you're bringing out, too, how these movements um, where you're doing something with your legs or your arms really goes back up to the brain. It does. It absolutely does. Um, And we have studies that show um, teachers who have used this before a test have actually reduced test anxiety. It was actually in the NEA uh, magazine in February of 2008 where it showed a teacher using Brain Gym in California before the um, state test. That's very cool. And I would think, if nothing else, well, we know that this is doing something legitimate and physiological, but I would think, if nothing else, the kids would just feel more respected um, with, you know, the teacher caring about how they're feeling than just doing some regimented kind of drills. <laughs> yes, and you can have fun with it. So, so for example, you can, if you're doing a reading program and I have five movements for reading, I can give the kids a brain gym card with, with each card having a separate movement and have them pick which reading movement they're going to do today. So it's empowering them, too. So when they're feeling stressed or they feel the need to do better in a subject, like do an arm activation, they have the power to change their learning and be in charge of their learning by doing a specific movement to enhance their outcome. Excellent. And just before we break for the bottom of the hour, Kate, you know, I really want to know what you did with the 93-year-old man. That sounds so hopeful to me. Well, would you believe we worked on balance? Okay. (laughs) Because um, a lot of my senior citizens, um, they're, uh, they're in their walkers, and one of their goals um, is to let go of that walker. So I work a lot on balance with them, as I do with the younger kids. It's so funny, that whole cycle of life, we go back to it. Um, so also with Brain Gym, we set personal goals. You can do a Brain Gym balance. Besides these 26 movements, there are 11 balances where a client would set a personal goal. We would do a learning menu and then a post-activity to see the changes in whatever their personal goal was. Very nice. And can you remind our listeners of different places that they can look for more information about Brain Gym and how to get it set up for their uh, child, their children, or their students? Sure. You can go on uh, the Brain Gym Foundation website, which is www.braingym.org, and they have links there for products. You can also link to find a class or link to find an instructor. Okay, very good. 
Well, um, Kate, are you going to stay with us through the next segment so we can talk with Mary? I am. I'm a rhythmic movement training consultant, and um, I love that work, too. And in conjunction with Brain Gym, it's a very powerful uh, combination. So I'd love to stay on with Mary. Okay, great. Thanks so much. So to our listeners, we will be right back with Mary Goska, who is a Montessori preschool teacher and rhythmic movement training instructor from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymetica, makers of fine digestive enzymes that complement your special diet. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On mind, brain, and body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Most chronic health problems are caused by the interaction between genetic susceptibility and environmental exposure. This was defined 10 years ago by the Centers for Disease Control. Join Dr. Robin Bernhoft for 21st Century Medicine. We will cover the whole spectrum of chronic illness and little-known medical treatments that are being used to make you healthier. 21st Century Medicine airs live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back and we had been talking to Kate Wagner, a licensed brain gym instructor from Naperville, Illinois, who is still with us. And now we're joined by Mary Goska, a Montessori preschool teacher and rhythmic movement training instructor from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I am told that these two programs work very well together, complementing each other, brain gym and rhythmic movement uh, training. So, Mary, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. What does rhythmic movement training mean? 
Well, in rhythmic movement training, we're actually reawakening innate movement patterns and retraining the body and brain to do them in an exact way according to how Mother Nature really designed us to do them. So that would be rhythmically, symmetrically, and as we practice, the body figures out how to do these movements efficiently and effortlessly. And this is what babies normally do in their first year of life if we let them be on the floor and, and they'll follow these reflexive um, impulses and they'll do these movements. All right. When you say innate movement patterns and then later say reflexes, are you using those terms synonymously? Yes, I am. Okay. Mm-hmm. Can you... Explain to our listeners what a reflex is and what the different um, classes of reflexes are. I don't mean like Moro reflex, but I mean uh, primitive reflexes, postural reflexes, etc. Yes, it is confusing. Um, We have reflexes that protect us when we burn our hand, for example, and those are protective reflexes. The infant reflexes, also called primitive reflexes, are a group of reflexes that are a temporary reflex that should actually um, dissipate as we're doing the movement patterns. So the brain is set up, if you want to think of the brain as a a computer, um, this is a temporary program that should self-delete after it's been used enough. So we want these reflex patterns to give us um, the impulse. The baby doesn't know how to orient to the world. So he, he follows these impulses, and it starts to orient him to how to, for example, put things in his mouth to eat and how to suck, and there's dozens of them. However, there's about uh, 10 or 12 that are very important to behavior and learning. So these reflexes, we want to revisit these patterns with the children or the adults, and it, it reestablishes um, that body-brain connection so that the muscles are neurologically connected to our our our, um, our movement center, our neurology, and then the movement becomes easy and automatic, and we don't have to think about how to do things. And it also, every time we do a movement, we have a corresponding neurological connection. So, for example, if we have a group of muscles in our upper body and a group of muscles in our lower body, and we're learning to coordinate those two physically, we actually are also connect, making corresponding neurological connections with our upper brain and our lower brain. And we can think of that as, as um, understanding our feelings, getting our thoughts and feelings coordinated. So it has neurological effect as well as physical coordination effect. And these are what are the basis of the development of the children that we need to have in place to do more complicated and advanced things. Okay. You know, I... I so um, like talking about the topic of retained primitive reflexes because it is, it's so underserved. Um, very few people talk about it. Very few people know about it, but it is something that's integral to development. It's vital to development. We're going to get back to that in a couple of minutes. Um, let's touch upon what the benefits of rhythmic movement training are to different parts and systems of the body. Yes. Well, in the very beginning, we're, we're working with the brainstem and maturing those functions of the brainstem, which are those automatic functions that our body is in charge of, our respiration, our digestion, our breathing. Um, and the, uh, included in that is the, the response of the fight-and-flight response, um, which is our, a protective response, which sometimes stays active longer than it should. So when we're working with maturing the brainstem, um, we're, we're working with 
these automatic things the body is making sense of all the sensory information it is receiving early on. And since we're copying what the baby would normally experience early on, being held and and, um, rocked, these are things that start to help that process of maturing the brainstem. And as we move along and, and train the children to do these movements by themselves, it stimulates another part of the brain called the cerebellum, which is so important for the coordination of um, the body and the brain, and a large, which encompasses actually the auditory system, the visual system, and the balance system. So it's a very powerful coordination that we're getting. And because we can start with the brainstem, we're filling in some gaps that are missing that are hard to reach otherwise. Okay. So how can we look at the things that a child can or cannot do? Kate and I touched upon this, but I'd like to hear your response. How can we look at the things that a child can or cannot do and figure out what's going on with the brain and how we can grow or connect parts of the brain through movement? Yes. Well, in that way, the rhythmic movements are actually kind of diagnostic also. When we have the the child on the floor, and we ask them to do these simple um, movements, when they have trouble doing them, we know that we need to help train them to do them again. And we do it in a uh, relaxed um, way. Sometimes we do it with singing with them or counting or doing rhyming. And that way the child has a little rhythmical help because he needs to have um, a regular rhythm. He needs to have symmetry in his movement so that left and right sides are moving in the same um, amount and at the same time, and then as he does that, he's, he's stimulating his cerebellum to actually work more efficiently. So it's helping his whole coordination system then. All right. When you were talking earlier, Mary, it sounded as if retained primitive reflex, reflexes would be detrimental to the muscle's becoming neurologically connected to the central nervous system. Am I on target with that? Yeah, well, it's it's the missing piece. You know, we often talk about, um, refer to people having their wires crossed or they're just not making a, a, a connection. We actually That's actually true neurologically. So if those muscles aren't, um, like, turned on to work, we use... Um, nearby muscles, and they don't work as efficiently for the mo- movements, so then we don't have um, the coordination exact. And we sometimes, over time, over years, build up tension in those muscles. But if it's connected neurologically and it's working, for example, the one to actually lift the head from a laying down position, these are important to start the uh, program for the, those muscles to work and to get strengthened. And when- along with this... The brainstem is also the muscle tone, development of muscle tone, which is important to their muscles developing. It's a neurological stage that has to be gone through, too. When these things aren't connected or coordinated, does that cause extra anxiety or fatigue to the child or lessen their ability to have effective school performance? Um, In the part... It's due to their, um, they're not feeling in control and able to see how to do things, understand how to, to do what they want with their bodies. So that's a, a certain amount of anxiety. There's other, uh, a reflex called the fear of paralysis reflex that is uh, related with uh, generalized anxiety, which has to do with accepting new information or new um, people um, and 
new situations. And that's a reflex that we can work with that works with anxiety also. Okay. So let's get more into talking about primitive reflexes themselves. Let's talk about the order the brain develops a bit more in depth, what primitive reflexes are, and the nuts and bolts of what happens to brain development if a child has retained primitive reflexes. Okay. So we talked about the brain stem being the first part that needs to be developed, and that actually starts initially to to send messages to the cortex. So when we talk about um, developing and the frontal cortex, which is responsible for our executive function, our attention and focus, and able ability to carry through on our, our plans. That is the very beginning, working with the brainstem. And then we have the basal ganglia, which is the motor center, and that has to do with our physical coordination. And then just above that is the limbic system, which is our emotional development. And then we get back to the frontal cortex. So those four layers are all important. And when we work with our, our balance sense, our proprioceptive sense, and, um, and these movement patterns, we're actually stimulating those connections to reach all through all the layers and help the development of all those parts of the brain. All right. And I think this would be a good opportunity for a break. So we will be right back with Mary Goska and Kate Wagner. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Are you finding fitness a chore? Is health and nutrition too time-consuming for you? It doesn't have to be like that at all. Tune in to Fit Fan for Fun, lifestyle fitness with your host, Shira Litwack. Every week, Shira and her guests will show you the fun side of fitness. We'll invite you to send topic suggestions and questions via email, as well as call into the program. You'll get sensible fitness and nutrition advice in a relaxed and fun program. You won't look at fitness as an enemy ever again. Fit Fan for Fun airs every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The Autism Hope Alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism. The goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today. Diet modification, biomedical intervention, and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery. Through these efforts, we believe hope will replace hopelessness. Recovery for our children is a reality. For more information, go to AutismHopeAlliance.org. 
You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Mary Goska talking about rhythmic movement training. And, Mary, um, Kate and I got into this, too. So what's your perspective on how we can look at a child's school performance and determine whether they might have a problem with retained primitive reflexes? That's a good question. Yes, if the child is generally easily overstressed, and um, he might even be checking out and not uh, staying present, it's often due to an active moral reflex or fear paralysis reflex. With a moral reflex, the children often have a lot of sensitivities to sound and to, to changes in temperature and, and um, touch, and they get distracted very easily. So the child that's very distracted often has a moral reflex. If he's very timid and anxious and um, very standoffish, he would probably have a fear paralysis reflex. And so the, those two together often make it hard for him to focus in school. So those would be something we would address um, initially with the child. If he's having trouble um, with his penmanship, of course, it would be a hand reflex. It could be um, a retained asymmetrical tonic neck reflex, which has to do with um, bending his arm and looking down at the same time. And if he's fidgety, it could be a combination of them. Um, an active spinal gallant reflex would have him uh, moving around in his chair and uncomfortable, as well as a symmetrical tonic neck reflex doing the same thing and having him uncomfortable in a, seated at a desk. So these are things that we can look for um, and ask the parents what the um, concerns or the issues are that they want to work on in, related to school, and then we can know which ones to address. And we can also learn those by putting them in the postures of those reflexes and seeing how they're able to um, to move uh, easily or not easily. So there's two ways to find out. Okay. And what kind of diagnoses do these things affect? Do you see this in children with full syndrome autism or Asperger's or ADD, ADHD? What kinds of diagnoses? Yes. Well, the, the diagnosis of ADHD is that low focus and attention. So there's about four reflexes or five that could be related to an, uh, those symptoms of lack of attention and focus. And those would also, we'd look at stimulating um, the frontal lobes with the rhythmic movements also using the cerebellum. And as far as, um, I'm sorry, could you repeat that again? Hello? Yes, could you repeat it again? Oh, okay. I lost um, the of that. I'd, I'd, I'd actually like to know at this point what some reasons are for um, these children having these immature reflexes. We were talking about the oh. different diagnoses that we can see these in. What would be the reasons that, that kids had immature reflexes? There could be many reasons. Initially, it's, um, it could be just hereditary. We have whatever we, we um, get from our parents. But also in our society today, and this is in many parts of the world, there's just a tendency to put the children in seats and have them get up and walk right away without being on the floor. And they really need to experience gravity laying down horizontally. And when they're propped up in seats, they're just not getting the opportunity to roll and to lift their heads, especially being on their stomach. 
that tell me time that people have talked about is so important very early on. It has to be within the first, second month, or he won't like it at all, and then it's really hard to get him to do it. So those are the very initial things that need to be done and that we don't do as much in our society. And we also try to rescue them from struggling. There has to be a little bit of struggling so that they learn how to coordinate their arms and legs to crawl. So these are things that, that we... Um, we take away that challenge, and then they don't get to figure it out, and then they're missing that piece. Okay. I've, I've heard, and I wonder about um, other, you know, possible reasons for immature reflexes. Um, you've mentioned, you know, a lack of tummy time. Are there any things to do with pregnancy or nutrition or neurotoxins or yes. brain injuries uh, that have anything to do with this? Yes. Anytime there's a brain injury your reflexes come back to be inactive as a, a protective measure so that you can continue to, to be mobile. For example, with Parkinson's, um, they lose their voluntary movement, and the reflexes actually can help to reestablish that. But the neurotoxins that's in our food, that's really, they're just like the name says, it, it's affecting their brain and it's causing um, this other behavior because we're interrupting uh, and with the digestion, when we're not digesting our food correctly, those, that food, in, in the case of um, being sensitive to gluten, is digesting is becoming peptides, which act like opiates on our brain instead of being nutritious for us. So then we have to work with that digestion along with it because we are complex beings, and these all affect our brain too. Mary, I'm so glad you brought that up. I really like it when people bring out that holistic approach of how what's going on in one part of the body affects what's going on in another part of the body. And we especially know that what is going on in the gut um, immunologically um, affects the, the brain. Um, all sorts of chemical messengers are sent out and such. And so we know that all these different parts of the body are connected. Um, so can you please uh, tell us about some success stories with kids you've helped and what their diagnoses were and what the symptoms were that they've had, what you saw, I did this with, with Kate, what you saw insofar as a deficit, the strategy you employed, and the positive outcome. Okay. Well, as a Montessori teacher, most of my experience has been in my classroom, so not all the children had, and they were ages 3 to 6. So they didn't all have diagnoses, but the behaviors that I observed would be the same. Um, for example, the children who had an active moral were very sensitive to sound and touch and light. And so I had one little boy, he was about four years old, and he actually didn't um, take to the movements because the motion, there can be motion sickness along with those sensitivities. So I wasn't able to do the initial um, rhythmic movements with him until I was able to work in other, other ways with some games to get him to integrate his moral reflex. Before I did that, he would, um, for example, outside playing, when he got any kind of bump or scratch, he would scream really loudly and hysterically. And he was also very sensitive to other children and angry quite a bit with any kind of um, bumping. So this boy, after he was working with the games um, to work on his moral reflex, after uh, six to eight weeks, um, he came to me and he, instead of screaming when he had some blood, he showed me the red and he said, look, it's red, it's coming out, and he wasn't afraid of it. So then I, I had the hunch, you know, we took care of it, and I had the hunch that his moral reflex was integrated, and then he started playing in ways 
um, he'd hang up his head upside down, laying on the top step, and he was looking at the world upside down. And he said, come, everybody, look at the world upside down. So I knew that he was working on his tonic labyrinth reflex posterior or backward um, without knowing it. Children go right into these reflex patterns, and they start to work on what their brain needs next. So then this child was able to regulate himself much more easily because um, he wasn't out of control when he, with his body. His, he was able to regulate and not have that sensitivity so that things were not as um, difficult for him. Yep. Yeah. You brought up a great point, Mary, and that is that, um, you know, in a perfect world um, where everything's working right, children know what they need to work on. You know, there are programs that they will carry out in the sense of movement to grow their brains and, and develop their their nervous system. And But when we throw in, you know, a bunch of stuff like, you know, toxins, uh, et cetera, then the program gets, gets off kilter. And um, so it sounds like rhythmic movement training and brain gym are ways for others to come in and facilitate children putting their program back on track. And you mentioned this this uh, boy being angry, angry with other kids. But this wasn't uh, strictly a behavioral problem. This was a physiological program, uh, problem. And when you respected his physiology, the behavior improved. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, where can parents look for more information? Where can they go from help for help? How do they get to do this with their kids or teachers yeah. do it with their students in school? Well, there are actually, there's an international website for rhythmic movement training. Um, it's www.rhythmicmovement.com. And there's a listing of classes that are held all over the country and, in fact, all over the world that's on that listing. And there, that's a good place to start. There's also, um, of course, the originator, Dr. Harold Bloomberg, is in Sweden, and he's teaching in Europe quite a bit. And he has another website which is his name, but there's a link to it from the Rhythmic Movement one. It's haroldbloomberg.net, and um, that has some more case histories specifically about children. He's worked a lot with children with autism over the 20-some years that he's been working. Right. This has a long history. Kate, let's get back to you for a minute before we close. Mm -hmm. Tell us about using these two together, brain gym and rhythmic movement training. How does that help most effectively? Well, when you're dealing with some of these um, retained primitive infant reflexes, um, you can't always get through to um, the learning menu of brain gym until these are integrated. So sometimes if I can't get a child to do a, a movement in brain gym, I may need to go back to rhythmic movement training so that I'm doing two things at once. I'm integrating the primitive reflexes, and then I'm working on the physical skills of learning. And the two in connection with each other have really made a difference for my clients. Um, Rhythmic movement training may not be the easiest thing to input in a classroom, but brain gym is. So you have something that the parents can work with for five or ten minutes at an evening with their child. It's not a long, drawn-out Five minutes, working up to ten minutes a day on this uh, program. Brain gym can take two to three minutes. Very simple movements that um, 
have just dynamic changes in the brain and in the child, and uh, it's really wonderful to watch. Um, and it's a gift that you give the child, and it's just a wonderful program. And I'm so glad I've been able to make some changes in people's lives by by doing this work. So well put. So well put. And you brought out the important point, Kate, of often um, it's not that a particular program or intervention doesn't work. It's that it needs to be done in a particular order most effectively in conjunction with another program to make it successful for the child. Yes, that's correct. Okay, very good. Well, um, Kate and Mary, I'd like to thank you for both being on today and sharing this information with listeners, to our listeners. Uh, Kate and maybe even uh, Mary, too, Kate and Mary together, will be joining us at the Autism One Generation Rescue 2011 conference at the magnificent Weston Lombard in Lombard, Illinois, in May. We have some incredible surprises coming up for parents including free child care options and much less expensive food options. Uh, we project approximately 150 speakers. Pages will start to be posted in one to two weeks on the website at www.autism1aautismone.org. I'm in high gear for the conference, and my dynamic co-host, friend, and colleague, Kristen Selby-Gonzalez, is going to be alternating shows with me here every other week starting in February. For questions about this program, please email me at taranga at autismone.org. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, makers of fine digestive enzymes to complement your special diet. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Enzymedica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.